Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Dr. Yanina Ramirez here. Coming to you from Ely Cathedral, a rather noisy Ely Cathedral, because tonight is a very big festival. It's Candlemas, the 2nd of February, uh, the night when the uh, candles of the church are all blessed for the year ahead. Uh, technically, the end of Christmas, the end of the 40 days of Christmas. And it's a big festival that's going to be accompanied by music, and the whole of the cathedral is lit with candles. It's absolutely stunning. I have come to a particular part of the cathedral, uh, off the side, through a passageway, to the Lady Chapel. And I am joined by a wonderful assistant today. Do introduce yourself, Will. My name is Will Shank. I'm one of the cathedral tour guides. And you are also, you are an Egyptologist, well, I, you were telling Well, I trained me. as an archaeologist and as an Egyptologist at Cambridge. So it was really only because of the political situation in Egypt that I began to do more work here at the cathedral because I wasn't having um, the same opportunities to excavate in Egypt. So therefore, I've had to learn a lot about this building in a very short period of time. <laughs> and you know a lot. So we've been walking around together and seeing the most extraordinary things. But the reason I wanted to talk to you here in the Lady Chapel is because I believe this is, is almost unique in as much as it's a separate building altogether from the cathedral, isn't it? Oh, it is. And it's extremely large by Lady Chapel standards. I mean, it was begun in 1321 and there had always been a chapel in um, the um, uh, in the south aisle of the presbytery, I think, which also made it difficult because that was where the pilgrims were heading for the shrine. So the, I think the monks probably wanted to separate the pilgrims from their own worship so that they created a new chapel quite separate and that you would link it by a processional route mm. that actually divided the pilgrims from the monks. So the monks could enter through a secret passage and a bridge. Yeah, that, we've seen the, the base yeah, of the bridge. Yeah. That's all, all that's left of this That's all that's bridge. left. Just You'd have to know what you were looking at. But it's, <laughs> the clues are there to indicate that the monks would come in on their own and they would, work, they would worship in the chancel and then the pilgrims would make their way into where we are now standing. Mm. And they would then follow a route all the way around the building with the decoration above the niches depicting the life and the miracles of the Virgin Mary. Mm, and this is what is so, I think, extraordinary about this building. Not only is it architecturally sublime, we have this incredible yes, it vaulted ceiling. it is one ceiling. of the best examples of the decorated Gothic in Europe. It, it, well, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. And I think it's the intimacy of the scale as well, yes, because yes. it is a smaller version of what you get in, in the main cathedral, and yet oh, yes. it's so tactile, you can get so close to it. And it's completely self-contained mm. with its own decorative scheme. And 
architecturally, it's fantastic. You have what are called nodding ogees, these wonderful Ooh, arches yeah. that if you look, you'll realize they're rippling, that the whole building is in motion. Yes, because yes, because they slightly peak out, don't exactly they, at the front? That's right. Yes. So this, is, uh, this was basically a method invented here, taking the OG one step forward and making it three-dimensional. Gosh. And then the architects here created this marvelous space. Yeah, and date-wise, you must We're talking the about the mm, 14th century. Yeah. Again, the foundation, 1321, and then they carried on building. I mean, it's probably the foundations of this structure that brought down the original tower, which led to the building of the octagon, which would never have happened otherwise, because they had a perfectly good Norman tower mm. until they very effectively undermined it by digging the foundations for this particular building too close to the north transept and much too deep. Well this is again I think what's fascinating about Ely as a, as a, as a case study if you mm-hmm. like. You can see so much history <gasps> from the Anglo-Saxons from right, you know, Saint Ethelred right the way through and uh, the Normans. It was essentially a holy island yeah. dedicated to Saint Ethelred who founded the first Anglo-Saxon monastery here in 673 mm-hmm. which is why you end up with a magnificent monastic church and cathedral church here because of the fact that this was a sacred place yeah. and that St. Althodreda was so important. It's probably one of the reasons for such a large lady chapel linking our own Virgin Queen oh. with Mary, How interesting, the so Queen the feminine of Heaven. connection between Ethelred, because she was an incredibly important individual, oh, you know, princess, uh, married to two kings, yes. remained a virgin throughout. So she said. So she said. <laughs> uh, and given the, the Isle of, of Ely, it was at the time, wasn't it? The exactly. Isle of Eels, is that right? That's right. That's one of the sources of the name. And so it was her own personal property that she had achieved through marriage to her first husband, Tonbrett. And consequently, she was given permission from St. Wilfred to construct and build a monastery here with herself as abbess. Mm. St. Hild is often compared to her, and mm. they thought, there's thought that because she was queen of Northumberland um, with King Ecfred, that there would have been strong family links. Yeah, yeah. And so she was one of these great aristocratic women who basically had done her duty, made her political marriages, and then withdrew. Mm. And like St. Hilda as well, the, uh, she was abbess of a dual monastery, yes. men and women, so exactly. powerful, so Absolutely. influential. That's what's so wonderful about the Anglo-Saxon mm. church in many ways, and was lost with the later Benedictine foundation here, which was entirely male. The original foundation was a mixed house Absolutely. with a woman as the abbess, and that continued because her successor was um, Siaxberger, mm. her her sister, sister. Yeah. and then her niece, and subsequently, it was always, in a way, ruled by women. It exactly. Was a, it was a female house. But what's so brilliant, I think, about the Anglo-Saxon period is it is this window where Christianity actually does open doors for women. Yes. So intellectual doors, artistic doors, bringing us back to the art, and, and also the yes. art of women, because again, yes. this is a lady chapel. Lady chapels are dedicated to the Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the way around this building, you can see, uh, well, the Reformation has wiped yes. out the faces, but there are the remains yeah. of some complex schemes Related to the Absolutely. Virgin, aren't there? They're right, because as you would have come in when we uh, when we began by speaking, you would come in as a pilgrim. You would have then followed around the building internally above the niches. You would have seen sculpture that would have depicted her own birth, mm-hmm. her own um, education, her um, her life in the temple, and then subsequently her own the nativity of Christ, her marriage to to, to Joseph, um, and around you would have followed it through and then ultimately it would have concluded on this wall the north wall mm-hmm. with her miracles that had occurred after her death uh, the death of Christ and then ultimately her own assumption bodily into heaven so there's a lovely uh, symmetry to the scenes mm-hmm. uh, Mary's life the life yes. of Jesus as son of Mary and yes. then uh, her miracles and death and and largely taken from the golden legend you were saying yes that's one of the sources and it was M.R. James the great um, well best known now for ghost stories. Ghost stories, Of course, he was a medieval scholar, and this was one of the first buildings he studied um, while he was at Cambridge, and he wrote the first book that really took apart 
the iconography and the imagery and realized just how much had survived the Reformation, that if you knew what you were looking at, you could see the clues as to the story. In a way, the backstory of, of, of Mary, her own childhood, everything that actually isn't in the Bible, mm -hmm. which is another reason the Protestants took real exception to a building like this and targeted the images because they felt that it was inappropriate. Yeah, inappropriate, yeah. And so that is one reason that so much of the imagery was probably destroyed and then whitewashed over because Ironically, the only reason this building even survives was because it became a Protestant parish church. Yes, and, and I, I, what I'm very struck by in this building is the fact that the Protestant Reformation has brought about such a thorough, oh. but very level, balanced, very systematic, systematic attack That's how I often on the imagery. It because mm. it was targeted, the monks were instructed to remove the images by the bishop, Thomas Goodrich, who was a close ally of Archbishop Cranmer. So he may have been using the political situation for his own personal ends to remove everything from this building he disapproved of mm. and it was done in a thorough fashion but structurally the building was the building survived and some buildings like let's see the chapter house or the uh, the refectory or the dormitory for the actual priory were completely removed mm. but then another building like this because it could be used as a parish church was spared mm -hmm. carries on I mean, that was one of the the things wasn't it to help the poor to provide a focus for the community and also it, this idea of carrying on good ecclesiastical practice yes after the reformation and and i think that's that's the reason we have our last remaining cathedrals uh, which were these rema remarkable monastic yeah. buildings well what's really interesting is goodrich he was a he was of course a tutor politician, a master. What he did was actually protect his people. Mm -hmm. The monks were given the option of either being generously pensioned or becoming canons within the new chapter. Mm -hmm. The last prior took full advantage of that and became the first dean. Gosh. So there's a very peaceful transition, jobs for the boys. They looked after one another. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, this building became the new parish church for the Holy Trinity, the second parish in Ely, which had begun a in a church attached to the cathedral called St. Cross, which was always meant to be in poor condition. So they took full advantage of this wonderful building. And of course, they removed the imagery they disapproved of. But because of that, the building survives. Without it, we would not have it to this day. And I'm amazed because this stopped being used from uh, up until, when did you say? 1938. It wasn't connected to the cathedral. No, it was independent. And it was the parish church of the Holy Trinity. And it was only when the two parishes in Ely, St. Mary's is the other, they merged. Mm. Um, and then this building essentially became redundant yet again and returned to the cathedral. Yeah. So there'd had, you know, there had been... Um, there had been actual um, restoration and construction work that had been done over the centuries within the building. It was filled with pews. George Gilbert Scott, the great Victorian architect working on the restoration here, with the help of the dean, basically had the pews removed and redesigned so they would and be less... And we see Gilbert Scott's hand everywhere, everywhere in this in the building yeah. because he yeah. was employed from 1847 onwards as the architect responsible first for moving the choir to where it now stands and then ultimately restoring the octagon, mm. which he finished in the 1870s. So virtually every piece of every piece of Victorian furnishing in this building would have been designed by Scott mm. in that period, yeah. which is one reason the interior now is a wonderful melding of the Norman and the Gothic and then the 19th century restoration. He's harmonized the space. Mm. Well, this is why I find our, our cathedrals to be such documents of time. They, they do span the millennia in a way that other buildings don't. And um, some of the things just we should notice before we sign off, you have been pointing out to me, Will, some of the the things that have managed to escape the eyes of the reformer. So we're yes. just over here in the north. This is the joining point between the, the north and the east wall, isn't it? Yes. Oh, sorry, north well, and west. Northwest wall yeah. corner. And yep. in this corner... For some reason, this niche seems to have been, I don't miss in many ways. So you have actual carvings that were never attacked. You have a dragon. Yes. 
and it's probably a mother dragon because you have a baby dragon very clearly attached itself to its ear so it's flying along with the dragon being protected by its mother directly below you have what looks to be a pig with demon ears a snout and its tongue sticking out Uh, directly across, you have another possible dragon with its tongue extended. Yeah, almost lion-like actually yep. there, isn't it? With wings or something? Yes, There's exactly. I think of it almost as one of those flying bats from The Wizard of Oz. Uh, it looks like that. Mm. <laughs> and then in the centre, you had what would have been yeah. a, a sculpture that's now being attacked, had the arms and the, the, the yeah. hands and the head But in this case, removed. just very clearly, just decapitated. Very they killed it, yep. they removed the head, they haven't bothered with the rest of the body. And again, a demon is supporting the pedestal upon which the saint would have stood. Look at that demon, tongue out, claws, exactly. incredible. Exactly. Oh, and, and actually, you can really see the layers of carving still. It's, it's very, very detailed, forked tongue as oh, well. Oh, exactly, yeah. And, and also remarkable in this building is the paintwork. Yes. I have been staggered by how much original medieval paint still Again, remains. getting back to the idea this is a building that was converted into a parish church, they would have probably destroyed a great deal of the imagery, but they knew they didn't necessarily need to destroy it all because they were going to whitewash it over. And mm. this whitewash isn't a thin veneer. It is thick mm. paste. And actually, that's an interesting point I think a lot of people take for granted now when we visit these buildings, is that they were whitewashed. They were stripped back now to stone. Yes. But originally, medieval yeah. churches were densely colored. Oh, yes. They were almost garish, gold, bright colors on and every Ely, surface. Exactly. The Norman Cathedral Church would have been completely plastered and painted. Mm. And there are two chapels here, St. Edmund and St. George, particularly St. Edmund's, which depicts the martyrdom of St. Edmund, painted on the wall, mm. a kind of trompe l'oeil. So that would have been whitewashed over, and in uh, probably the end of the last century, the whitewash was removed, and they restored the chapel, and they discovered this painted martyrdom. Mm. And what's even more interesting is on the sides, you get painted textiles, tapestries hanging. So if any wall that you know was, you know, wasn't carved or painted in any other way, they even filled in with decoration, yeah. like painted Tapestries. Well, there's an Anglo-Saxon term, which is horror vacui, horror of the vacuum space. Yeah. And I think medieval churches were like that. They, they were absolutely. stuffed. Absolutely. And it's not surprising, actually, that the reformers missed a number oh. of things because there was so much to deal there's with. There's so much to deal with, and they knew they'd be whitewashing it over. Mm-hmm. In a way, they're killing the images, mm-hmm. so that's almost job done. But then, because of the asymmetry within this carving, you end up with the fact that they'll see a figure in one boss, and then the next boss will be foliage, 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 and then they think, oh, no... Well, no more figures. Mm. But then, lo and behold, somewhere else, another figure will creep in where they don't expect it. And who did we see over the door? You showed me oh, the a wonderful, green man. A green man. <gasps> and I find there are many green men in this building. Mm-hmm. Dozens and dozens and dozens. But usually they're grotesques, mm-hmm. demonic images. In this case, it's a very naturalistic portrait it of is. a man. Um, he's not. He's a completely normal individual. It's not as if he's a grotesque in any way. Mm-hmm. He's not exaggerated. It's not a caricature. It's a beautiful naturalistic carving. But the branches that completely envelop his head begin by growing out of his mouth. And only because one of the branches, some of the foliage has been broken away and damaged probably again at the Reformation, you can see the face. Otherwise, it would have been completely hidden within, within, essentially, this shroud of foliage. It's amazing. It, it is quite unique, I think, I, the one I've, that you showed me. I think the green man, the whole idea of the green man is quite a complex one for the, yes. the art historian of yes. the medieval period because it does seem to be a hangover yes. from pre-Christian ideas of One doesn't of quite know worship. what they're up to, but they're right. definitely up to it. Mm. And it's they systematic. They appear everywhere, everywhere. In all of the cathedrals. And all through Northern Europe. Yep. Yep. Uh, this, they don't quite let go of this, of this, this tradition. Um, and they incorporate it into 
a building here dedicated to the Virgin Mary. And everywhere you still have these images. It's that wonderful thing of religious syncretism, you know, where one blends and melds into the next and you get these incredible little echoes. Exactly. I think that's one of the reasons as a guide I love this building and why I approach it almost as an archaeologist. Because I see these connections and I find that fascinating because it's not cut and dry. There's not black and white. It's not like one period ends and everything gets thrown out and they start over. No. No. Reality... People aren't like that. No way. And these buildings still reflect that kind of, that aspect of human nature, which I find just brings them to life. It's strata, isn't it? Layer upon mm-hmm. layer. Oh, you are lucky to be able to spend your time I know at I it. am. Oh, we, I know I am. We need to get in and I enjoy know. the We tour. need to join the queue. So we do need to join the queue. What a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your time, Will. It has been just absolutely incredible to see this place in this light by candle, yes. hear the singing. It is. It takes me back through time. It is absolutely magnificent. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.